Thank you. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, church family. What a privilege to be here with you today. Um, welcome guests. If you're a guest today, I'm so glad you're here with us. I'm Pastor Jacob. I'm just going to get my stuff in order here. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We are in a series of sermons. Actually, we're finishing this series today called Endless Prayer. Um, today's title, What Pleasing the Lord Looks Like. So, congratulations. Did you, did you understand what was happening in that video? Maybe you were totally confused there for probably the first, you know, two minutes, and then a light bulb went off in some of your heads there. Um, bottom line, who would have thought that that would ever be a thing but praise the Lord for Joy and Dan. They're able to have a child through Christy Archer. <laughs> so it's like, it's still like making my head hurt a little bit thinking about it. But what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. So we wanted to say this publicly in case you start showing, in case any woman starts showing here anytime soon. Um, and you might have questions. Why is she, sh are you pregnant? And she's like, yes. But no, <laughs> so we're rejoicing with you. If you have any questions, you're like, okay, what is this? I'm pretty sure Joy would love to tell you about it. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for, for this, and thank you, Christy. We're, so, we're praying for you, and Joy and Dan, we're praying for you as well. And Josh, we're even praying for you, brother, so um, that the Lord, <laughs> yeah, he says, thank you, that the Lord would be glorified, and um, what a special, special thing. Um, welcome, Car Family. I know many of you are here for the Car Family, or you are the Car Family. I think there's 472 of you on the earth. Um, welcome. So glad you're here with us. Uh, we're mourning with you. And I was telling Jeremy, I think it is, that um, you know I didn't have a chance to get to know Melinda very much on this earth, but eternity is a long time where I'll get to know her better. I'm looking forward to that. And so we're here for you during this time. We want to thank the Lord today for Jeff Nuss. He's home with a successful surgery today. And thank you for participating in the Pray 40 initiative. I look forward to what God's going to do starting next Sunday night. Well, friends, now stand with me in honor of God's word as I read it from Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14. It says here, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We praise and thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Forever our heart is yours. Jesus, the nails in your hands and your feet, your willingness, the thorns in your brow, they show us how much you love us. We're humbled by that, God. We're thankful. You have called us out of darkness into light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance 
of the saints and light, and you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. So I ask God for your help today as I preach your word and try to make it clear. I ask that you would make it powerful by your spirit. We pray for Dan and Joyce Need and Josh and Christy Archer. I thank you, God, for this miracle of life. I thank you for the knowledge and the wisdom that you've given people in your general grace that you've given to all people that has enabled this to happen. We pray for a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, a healthy surrogate mother. And we pray for joy in, in joy in Dan's life, that they would raise this baby up to come to know you, that you, Lord, would oversee every step of this process, that you, Lord, would give us humility and help us to apply your word as a church family, as this is something that's very new to us and new to the world, really, Lord. And so help us to be quick to listen as a church family in this situation. Help us to be slow to speak and slow to assume things that we don't understand. Help us, Lord, to welcome this baby and to pray for him or her and to pray for these people who are doing this wonderful thing. Father, you are the God of all comfort. Please comfort the Carr family in their affliction. We know that one day you will use the comfort that you give them to enable them to comfort others in their affliction. So we thank you for how you're going to use this and use them. We thank you for helping Melinda be faithful to the last breath. We pray, Lord, for Willie. We ask that you would give him strength and hope in you. We thank you, Father, that we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We look forward to the day when we see her and all those who have died in Christ again. Father, I pray for the Living Hope Church today in Merrillville and Pastor Rick Cochran. Father, I pray that your word would grow in his heart to swell up in him and through him so that your word would be clear and powerful and that their affections would be for Jesus and Jesus alone and not in the things that you can do for us, God. I pray, God, that if they believe a false gospel, that believing that Jesus died on the cross heals us from physical sickness, that they would repent of that false gospel and that they would believe the true healing that you have offered us, which is healing of our broken relationship with you and the hope of a restored new creation in Christ Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak. Father, I ask that you would speak and fulfill your purposes in us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, friends. Please be seated. Well, I'm going to quote someone you probably did not anticipate me quoting here at the beginning of this sermon. Joseph Stalin. He is reported to have said that gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. Meanwhile, God's word says in Colossians 1, 
10 and 12, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, giving thanks to the Father. This phrase, giving thanks, is the fourth description of what it looks like to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. It's a phrase that is a a present tense verb, which means that it's something that should continually characterize the lives of Christians. We should always be giving thanks. And as we are giving thanks, we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are fully pleasing to him. Now, I suspect we all know that we should be thankful to God. We think about all the good things that God has given us. Every good and every perfect gift comes from from above. So we know that every good thing that you have in your life and every good thing I have in my life is a gift, and we should be thankful for those gifts. But I suspect that it's also seemingly difficult for us to think of ourselves as coming to a, a place in our life where we're always characterized by thanksgiving where thanksgiving is, is just a mantra for us. Are we known as thankful people? So here's, here's why I think this is sometimes difficult. I think sometimes as Christians, we can have a wrong view of what our relationship to God is like. We can have a view of our relationship with God that I'm characterizing by two words, I'd better. An I'd better view of our relationship with God. I'd better tithe. I'd better read my Bible. I'd better pray more. I'd better not look at things online I shouldn't look at. I'd better not gossip, you know. And if that's our our general MO, our perspective toward God is that I'd better, then I don't think then it would be super easy for us or even natural for us or even possible for us to be characterized by thanksgiving. Because if, if your view of God is an I'd better kind of view, then one of two things is going to happen to you. You're either going to become really prideful on the days that you think you're doing pretty well. Ah, I, you know, I, I woke up, I set an alarm, and I read God's word this morning. I prayed my prayers. I, I didn't cuss as much in traffic, you know, and, and so now I'm feeling better about myself, and, and what happens when, when, that, when you do that? You don't find yourself thanking God because you did it, right? The other kind of perspective that you could have in life if you have an I'd better view is on the days that you don't do well at all, on the days when you sleep through your alarm and you don't spend time with God and his word or when you actually do get angry in traffic and those words come out of your mouth that you know should never come out of your mouth and you're frustrated with your wife and you're trying to manipulate your husband again and, and now you're filled with despair and hopelessness. Well, that's certainly not Thanksgiving, is it? Well, there's something that I think is so important for us here in God's word, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, that shows us how it is that our lives can actually be characterized by thanksgiving. Our lives as Christians can actually be marked by lives that are grateful to God. 
And so what I want to show you today are three things that God has done. But before I do that, let me tell you a little bit about what was happening in this context. These Christians in the ancient city of Colossae were being told to follow really strict self-discipline and avoidance of various kinds of indulgences. We see little glimpses of that in the letter, like, don't touch this, don't taste that, make sure you do this to get the affection of angels and protection and things like that. Follow these rules. We, were, we see in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, that there were some false teachers that claimed to have had visions and they were trying to disqualify, quote-unquote, the Christians by trying to force them to um, follow the strict code of religion. And so Paul heard about them. And he started praying for them. And he wanted them to see what a real life looks like that pleases God. And he wanted them to see that thanksgiving should be a characteristic of a Christian, and that pleases God. But in these verses, he wants us to see, and he wanted them to see, how it is that that thanksgiving is actually possible. So that's the three points of my sermon. A question for you before I get into those three points. Are our lives marked by thanksgiving? Are our lives characterized by, are they marked by thanksgiving? If somebody was talking about you, maybe at your funeral one day, would they say, they were a thankful person. They were grateful to God, and I could tell that they were. Well, today's passage tells us three things that God has done for us that make us thankful. And if you're taking notes, I'm thankful for that. That is not one of the things. Anyway, three things that God has done right from this text that make us thankful people. The first thing that God has done that makes us a thankful people is that he has qualified us. He has, number one, qualified us. Look at verse 12 of Colossians 1. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's qualified you for something specific, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In the vein of things you didn't expect to see at church today, did you know that Michael Jackson had a pet monkey named Bubbles? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you knew that that was a thing. My goodness, you guys are more knowledgeable than I am about these kinds of things. Be interesting to see how many people in the second service knew about Bubbles. Did you know that Michael Jackson left an inheritance to Bubbles in the amount of $2 million. $2 million to his pet chimpanzee, y'all. I could act like a chimpanzee for $2 million. <laughs> Upon his death, Bubbles inherited $2 million. Yes, that is a thriller of some truth, I know. Don't try to take away Bubbles' inheritance. If you did, it would make you a smooth criminal. <laughs> anyway, none of us qualify to receive that inheritance. You're not Bubbles. Michael Jackson set the parameters for how, who should receive that inheritance. In order to qualify, you would have to be his chimpanzee and you would have to be Bubbles. You don't qualify. There's a different kind of inheritance, however, that God has qualified us for. 
It's an inheritance that says God qualified us for this inheritance of the saints in light. But what is this inheritance? Now, Paul is, is tying onto some Old Testament language. You remember that God's people, Israel, were divided into 12 tribes, and before they were going into the promised land, that God promised them an inheritance, all the way back to the promise of Abraham, where he promised to give them a land. It's part of the promise to Abraham is that he would give them a land, and we call that the promised land. If you went to Sunday school, you're probably familiar with that. And if you didn't, I'm still glad you're here. Anyway, so God promised them this land, and Joshua, we see in the book of Joshua, led God's people to go into the promised land, and they each obtained an inheritance. We see this, uh, for example, in Numbers chapter 26, verses 52 and 53. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Among these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. Eventually, Joshua would enable them to do that. What Paul is doing is he's picking up on that language and inheritance. The inheritance that God's people had was a land. And now Paul is saying, now God has qualified us for an inheritance. Something like that, but something that's much greater than that inheritance. Let's look at some New Testament scriptures to try to understand better about what this inheritance is. Most closely, we see chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 23, where God's word says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So we see that whatever the inheritance is, it's a reward for Christians. Next, look at Hebrews 9.15. It says, Therefore he, that's talking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. See that the inheritance is a reward for us. It's an eternal inheritance. Lastly, look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is the inheritance that God has qualified us for? It's the inheritance of the glory of heaven. It's the inheritance of the glory of heaven. It's being perfectly like Jesus, glorified in glorious heaven forever. Of course, we know that Melinda right now is with the Lord in her spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But one day when Jesus Christ comes back, all the dead in Christ will raise first. They will be made like him, transformed to be like his glorious body. And all those who are alive at the coming of the Lord Jesus will also be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And we will together meet them in the clouds and be with the Lord forever. Amen, right? Now, depending on what your view of the end times is, at some point, Jesus and all of his bride comes back to earth in new resurrected bodies. And Jesus actually remakes the whole earth, friends. And heaven comes down to dwell on earth where we will live and rule and reign and receive our inheritance forever. Aren't you looking forward to that? But you can't qualify yourself for that inheritance. You can't qualify yourself. What is it? What is, how do you... How do you become qualified? There's a little bit of a clue here at the end of verse 12. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. A saint is a holy person. It's the same word, holy, saint, holy person. And light symbolizes God's purity or holiness. It's the location of the inheritance is light. So how do you qualify? You can't qualify yourself to receive that inheritance. Did you know that, friends? Why can't you qualify yourself? Because of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're trying to earn your own way to qualify for the inheritance, you're going to come up short. Because you've got to be perfectly holy and pure. Just as holy and pure as God himself is. It's an inheritance in light, friends. The light of God and in his light, there is no darkness whatsoever. But there is so much good news. You can't qualify yourself. But look at what it says in Romans 3, 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, counted righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How has God done this? How has God made us righteous? Whom God put forward Think about this word. It's not a word you normally use. It's a, such a great Bible word. As a propitiation by his blood. A sacrifice that satisfies his anger by his blood. Thereby, by faith in Christ, just by trusting in him and who he is and what he's done on the cross, God counts your sin on Christ, satisfying all the punishment you deserve for it, and crediting to you the holiness, the righteousness of His own Son. Qualified for the inheritance. You can never qualify yourself for the inheritance, but aren't you thankful that God has qualified you for the inheritance? Well, what a wonderful gift. Well, the first thing that God has done that should result in our being a thankful people, he, He's qualified us for the saints' inheritance. The second thing He's done that should mark us as the thankful people is He's delivered us. He's delivered us. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. 1 John 2.11 says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are two domains, spiritually speaking. There's the domain of darkness, and there's the domain of light. And you were born into the domain of darkness. We were watching the Indiana Jones movie, The Temple of Doom, this past week. Fast-forwarding through the parts I don't want my daughters to see. Part where he rips out the guy's heart. Anyway, didn't want to hear about that today. 
there is this drink that some of the people drink in this evil, wicked kind of religious practice in that movie. They drink this drink. It's the dark sleep of death. And you have to drink it in order to have this darkness kind of come over you. And Indiana Jones does that. But that's not the way it is in this world, actually. Because you don't have to drink anything to actually go into the realm of darkness. You're actually born into the realm of darkness. The moment you came alive, you were already in the realm of darkness, under the control of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. Jesus said in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're born in the realm of darkness and you are actually enslaved, unable to free yourself out of this domain, shackled by your own sin. You can't stop sinning in your own strength because you can never do everything to the glory of God. You can't even do anything to the glory of God apart from the gospel of Christ. But thanks be to God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us out of that domain. I hope you've read C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's about four children who venture into the land called Narnia. One of the siblings, named Edmund, betrays his siblings and believes the lies of the evil character, represents the devil probably, called the White Witch, who takes Edmund captive. The other children, along with Aslan, the great lion, they set off to deliver Edmund from her grasps. There's a really pivotal scene in this story when Aslan and his army, they deliver Edmund from the clutches of the witch, but the witch returns to remind Aslan about what the author calls, quote, the deep magic. That deep magic is that since Edmund betrayed his siblings, unless she had blood, all of Narnia would belong to her. And now she holds Edmund captive, and he must die. Aslan acknowledges this and can't change it. So he sent the children away, and off scene, he works something out with the witch to save Edmund. And Lewis describes in heartbreaking fashion how the children felt when they realized Aslan decided to trade places with Edmund. Offering his own blood on the stone table in place of Edmund's. And so Aslan offers up his life. The lion is killed by the witch in place of Edmund. But that wasn't the end of Aslan, though. An extended quote is appropriate here. Listen. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, cried the children, staring up at him almost as much as frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean? 
asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, who of course is the Christ figure, that the witch knew the deep magic. Though she knew that, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. The Bible says in Colossians 2.13 that God has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see all the accusations that the devil would have against you because of your sin and your rebellion and your hurting other people and your rejection of God and his word and his laws no longer exist. You've been freed. You've been delivered from that domain by Christ in his death in your stead on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. God himself has freed you from the domain of darkness. Thanks be to God, friends. Thanks be to God. You could never free yourself, but he has freed you. There's the second thing to be thankful for. The first thing that God has done that enables our lives to be marked with thanksgiving. He's qualified us for the saints' inheritance. Number two, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. The third thing he has done, the last thing, if you're taking notes, it leads us to give thanksgiving, is he has transferred us. He's transferred us. Look now, if you're with me, say, keep going, Pastor. Okay, there we go. Let's do it. Colossians 1, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and, say this next two words with me, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Dear Christian friend, God hasn't just delivered you out of the domain of darkness so that you're no longer under the control of the devil. He's transferred you to a different kingdom. You now belong to a different ruler. The kingdom of our Lord, the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom where Aslan himself rules with all of his might and his power and his glory. Well, today is the start of the convention for the denomination that Lindsay and I were part of all of our lives before we came here. And I know it might sound silly, but I've kind of been in mourning over that. Partly because I forgot to take a pill on Friday and I was extremely emotional, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I need to take a pill to remind me to take my pills, don't I, you know? I've been in mourning, though, about this. I mean, this is an event that she and I have gone to over 30 times in our life. Hundreds of our dearest Lifelong friends go to this convention, and they're there today. We love them dearly. And it represents so much joy and belonging for me. Now, don't get me wrong. We're thrilled to be here, 
and we already love you. But we have said goodbye to a lot to be here. I bring this up because it's part of our story, but also because it shows the need all of us have to have a sense of belonging, to have a people, to have a purpose. In 2021, sociologist Tracy Bauer wrote an article for Forbes calling, called, quote, Missing Your People, Why Belonging is So Important and How to Create It. In this article, she wrote that belonging is a fundamental part of being human. We need people, and this is hardwired into our brains. A recent MIT study found we crave interactions in the same region of our brains where we crave food. And another study showed we experience social exclusion in the same region of our brain where we experience physical pain. Work at the University of British Columbia found when we experience ostracism at work, it can lead to job dissatisfaction and health problems. In a similar vein, a study at the University of Michigan found when people lack a sense of belonging, it's a strong predictor of depression. In fact, it is an even stronger predictor than feelings of loneliness or a lack of social support. Something I don't think we emphasize well enough as Christians is how wonderful it is that God our Father didn't just deliver us and free us from our sins as individuals and send us to heaven as individuals. He delivered us from our sin along with a community of people from every tribe and tongue. And then he has transferred us to create a kingdom for himself that you are part of, dear Christian friend. You actually belong to a kingdom, not a, a lonely, just me and Jesus, I'm going to heaven, and really, who cares if anybody else is there? No, no, no. You belong to a king and a kingdom, a purpose that God has for you, a community that God has for you, from people from every single tribe and tongue that have ever existed, dear friends. Do you recognize who you are, Christian? Do you realize what you're a part of, dear Christian friend? A kingdom that is going to literally rule, and I, I, people use the word literally, they don't mean it literally, but I do mean this literally. You're going to literally rule and reign the universe forever in this kingdom. Friends, do you recognize what God has transferred you to as a Christian? Jesus said the kingdom exists in ways right now that we can't really see. It's like a seed growing secretly. But in the end, when Christ returns, it's going to be like a tree in which animals, birds from every kind are going to nest in its branches. It's going to be the kingdom, the only kingdom that exists one day. We see the kingdoms of the world and we think, wow, it would be so horrible if I'm not part of that community. I'm going to feel ostracized if I make this decision for Christ. I'm going to lose this group of people. I'm, I miss that person. Friends, he's transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know who you are and what you're a part of? Praise God. We may feel lonely at times. We may miss dear friends. We may have to say goodbye even to people we love. But we can still live lives of thanksgiving. We can still be marked by thanksgiving because we know we belong to a king and a kingdom that will rule and reign forever. 
what does it say in Daniel chapter 7? This prophecy about Jesus and his kingdom. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. You recognize what you're a part of, dear friend? You see how thanksgiving could be and should be a mark, a distinguishing characteristic of your life? You can't, but he has. So Joseph Stalin, you know, he said that gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. I wonder if there's a connection between his worldview and his view of gratitude. You know, the dictator, right, who killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to establish his rule and reign in the early uh, mid-1900s. Crazy, horrible dictator, Marxist guy. Belittling people and trying to build himself up by his own strength and willpower. Is there a connection between his view of gratitude and his view of how to get ahead in life? Build yourself up. Be strong in yourself. Make a name for yourself. Ah, gratitude, that's a sickness suffered by dogs. I wonder if our lack of gratitude is a sign that we're trying to do things in our life that only God can do. I'm trying to earn my way to heaven here by practicing all these religious rules and don't drink this and don't touch that and don't talk to them and don't go there and don't go to the movies and all these kinds of things. There's no gratitude in that. Why? You're trying to earn it. You could never earn it though. But the good news is that there's a different kind of worldview that goes from I'd better to he has. I'd better, well, you know what? I can't. But he has. Amen. He has qualified you. Thank you, Father. He has delivered you. Thank you, God. He has transferred you. I praise you, Father. I pray, dear friends, that this would be a mark of our life. Gratitude is not a sickness. Gratitude is a mark of somebody who has experienced the gospel of Christ and who knows it and who loves it. Let's pray together. I thank you, Father, that um, the grass withers and the flowers fall and one day we will all be forgotten by the people in this world, but your word stands forever. And your word always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And so I thank you and give you praise that your word is accomplishing in our hearts and minds your will. And I thank you that you are going to use this in the hearts of the people within the sound of my voice to grow their gratitude for you.
because you have done it all for us. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, dear friends, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. We're going to go now to the, we call it Sunday school hour. That's what it is, right? Sunday school hour. You know, I'm figuring things out here in this church. Um, will you stand with me? I'm going to dismiss, dismiss this here from Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Love you, friends. Go in peace.